I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Mark Ritson, adjunct professor of marketing at Melbourne Business School and a weekly columnist for Marketing Week. Mark and I tackled topics such as Adidas and their new digital-only strategy to programmatic advertising and the learnings from groups like The Guardian buying their own inventory to see how much money actually makes it to a publisher and J.P. Morgan Chase analyzing their programmatic spend. We wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't talk about brand risk and brand safety issues in this age of digital marketing. Well, Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me. So we have to start with April Fools and April 1st mm. when you announced that you're the new managing director of Facebook in your region and you almost had me. It, huh. it took me it took me a few a, a few hours of looking at your status change and going that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so so tell tell me tell me more about the joke. Let me let me on the inside. Well, it wasn't my idea initially. Uh, Ad News is one of the big uh, marketing journals and magazines down in Australia. Actually, approached me the day before and said, "Look, we're missing a big uh, April Fool story that we normally run. So we'd like to, if you're in in with us, we'd like to announce you as the new head of Facebook." And in Australia, I'm pretty 
critical of of some of the the, the metrics and approaches of Facebook and, and and other digital advertisers. So, it, it you know in Australia at least it was seen as being completely uh, impossible to envisage. But you'd be surprised. I mean, I I think I mean the joke in the end was on me. So it went out on Saturday morning, which was April Fool's Day, and I got a bunch of you know very small number of people got it immediately. Many other people accused me of being a sellout and a hypocrite, which kind of was good because that was the point of the joke. But right. the, the the other the majority of people just sent me their resumes. So I mean, my I'm no exaggeration. I've had four thousand LinkedIn requests because I changed my <laughs> LinkedIn profile for the morning right. just to back up the joke. And so the combination of ad news, which is pretty well read here, broadcasting it, and me backing up even just for three hours with a LinkedIn profile that said you know head of facebook australia resulted in i still get them i got three this morning um resumes and you know my god it must be very hard to be the real head of facebook because you you could literally spend every day just receiving resumes <laughs> well it, i thought it was funny once i realized what that it was really a joke because I, I was just sitting there scratching my head this cannot be true like everything you talk about, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. So, um, but it is fair to say you have a lot to say. And I, I mean that in the most positive way, um, because it's always backed up by evidence or, or um, you know, facts and figures, not the alternative facts that we have in, here in the U.S., yes. But, yes. but real facts, you know, um, I, I can't even believe I'm having to say real facts, that phrase <laughs> is weird, but 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 with that in mind, you know, I, I read a, a long, long write up that you did recently about Adidas and their, you know, push to be digital only, like 100 percent mm. digital. And uh, I just would love to get your point of view on, on here for the listeners. You know, why is that such a bad idea? Well, it cuts right to the heart of everything. So Adidas has a really cool. Actually, very forward-thinking new CEO um, called it's Casper Rosted. He's a Dane, um, but look, he's um, he has a great resume and actually a lot of marketing in his background. So he's been in the job about twelve months, and it's a big job because Adidas has been run pretty well, but it has a lot of challenges all around it now. And he came out with a statement that you know was just monumentally illustrative of the kind of the client mindset at the moment. And I, if you don't mind, I'll read you the actual quote because I have it here and yeah. I don't want to misquote him. He was, on an, he was on a TV interview with CNBC and he said, it's clear that the younger consumer engages with us predominantly over the mobile device. Digital engagement is key for us. You don't see any TV advertising anymore. All of our engagement with the consumer is through digital media and we believe that, you know, essentially that's the way we're going. And I think in that little quote from someone obviously very important and, and very influential and very insightful to some degree, you see the, the essence of the problem. And there's two problems within that little quote. There's the, 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 the sense that, you know, digital media is the future and that's how we're going to communicate with our customers, specifically in this case, the younger demographic. And also the idea that TV is is dead as as an influential medium for that younger group. Neither of those things are true, uh, and I guess that's the sort of the first initial point that I tried to make. It's not to say, and again, I you know I'm constantly attacked for being anti-digital, 
marketing and media, neither of which is true. I work with a lot of clients where we do extensive digital investment and it's very well done. The point I would make is digital is not everything. TV is not dying. And more importantly, when a CEO says something this stupid um, and and so against the principles of, of core strategy, you really worry about the marketers within Adidas because at the end of the day, you know, many years ago, I mean, I'm, what am I now? I'm late forties. I lived through an interesting period in the 1990s where we had these concepts of media neutrality and integrated marketing, all of which are entirely relevant today, more so now than they were when they were invented in the early nineties. And when a CEO gets up and says, irrespective of country, irrespective of what we're trying to do, basically it's all about digital from now on he just makes a fool of himself. And, you know, what's interesting is when you make the point, as I tried to do in my article, that this is dumb and it's, you know, he can spend all of his money on digital media, but he's got to first check all of these things. And he certainly hasn't got to say that TV's dead because it's still smashing all digital media for reach in almost every country. And so, you know, it's not that this tactical nonsense about digital invades the strategic awareness. And I, I guess that was my big problem with it. And I, I just I think it's typical of where we are at the moment. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. It's baffling that that we even have to say this stuff out loud. Um, You're right. But it's we're not making the point. I mean, it's um, you can take Nielsen data out for the U.S. or, or whatever the relevant uh, data point is across most of the developed ad markets of the world. Barb data in the U.K. Here we have Oztam in Australia. And you can literally show over the last three years pretty much a straight line in terms of number of hours per week or month that you know, audience segments are spending watching TV. Even that younger group that has certainly declined its TV viewership over the last four to seven years is now flattening. It's reached a an idea that I don't think is going to decline any further. And so in that sense, I think we are, you know, we are, you know, to your point, I can show you that data over and over again in the most aggressive and uh, uh, confronting manner. But people, and I've done that in, you know, umpteen conferences, people will walk away having seen a flat line from a representative sample of the market, independently measured, and still find a way to say, no, 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 TV's dying. Right. Well, so let's expand this a little bit into into programmatic and digital advertising. I mean, there's a lot going on that's not going well for either of those right now, um, you know, and prolific or, or, I don't know, famous mm-hmm. marketers like P&G calling them out, right? One, do you agree that it's broken? I, I almost know where that's going. And then two, you know, can we fix it? Can it can it be fixed? Ooh, yeah, this is big stuff. So programmatic is an astonishing uh, development in the history of communication. So, I mean, I, like <laughs> most marketers, if we go back, you know, I, I guess around five, six years ago, it just came out of nowhere. And if you think about the, the shiny promises of what programmatic could do at the time it was astonishing you know the idea that we could buy in real time that we could have pure elasticities of price that you know we could essentially take the human out of the process which is always a good thing when it comes to most aspects of of automation and and media buying it was great i mean for me my angle was linking it back to the adidas story 
it promised to be entirely media neutral, right? Because computers yeah. don't have stupid biases. So I was thinking once we get outdoor and then print and, and then we'll see how this plays out, you know. Anyway, that all turned into nonsense. So yeah, what what's wrong with so let's remember first of all, programmatic <laughs> is growing at about twenty five to forty five percent year on year growth consistently in most markets. So marketers are dumping more and more money into programmatic each year. Again, irrespective of what we might might tell them about it. So that's a good context, first of all, to, to, to set to one side. While that's happening, so while we are spending more and more money, and I don't have the data for US or Canada but uh, or UK, but here in Australia, we are spending demonstrably more in 2017 on programmatic than we are on things like outdoor. So it's gigantic, you know. While all that's going on, it's clear that a couple of things are happening. We've got the brand safety issue. Now, the brand safety issue is, is, a, is has two concerns. The first one is obviously if programmatic ends up putting my ads next to jihadis or anti-Semitism or anything else, it's, you know, there's a risk there. But a deeper point that no one's getting to yet is why the hell is it doing that? Because it's meant to be smarter than that, right? You, you know, my favorite case is the Marie Curie Cancer Care, which is a very, very well-loved charity in the UK which found its ads all over, um, uh, I think it was video from David Duke, you know, exhorting right. basically white hatred. But the point is, okay, that's a danger short term. But why is it doing that in the first place? Isn't it meant to be smarter than that? So the first issue is it, it just looks like it's a random pinball machine, you know, shooting out ping, you know, ping pong balls in every direction onto any available <laughs> digital site. It's not as smart as we thought. The second bigger issue for me with programmatic then is the commission rates, which no one, no one has refuted. And so if you look at several independent sources, and they are genuine independent, not with a bent either way, World Federation of Advertisers, Ubiquity, which does have a, you know, an angle here, but, but did a good piece of independent research. All the best estimates say that your working capital that actually gets through the, the punching of the ticket, the different ad tech commissions, you're probably looking at for every $100 you put into programmatic, somewhere between $30 and $40 actually reaches the media platform itself. So, you know, I, again, I remember the, the dreaded days of the early 90s, late 80s, where we were very unhappy with a 15% commission being paid to our agencies right well right. hey that was that they were the good days man now we're looking at 60 <laughs> to 70 percent commission that's progress for you right and again I, I i'm waiting for someone to knock this one back but i'm not seeing anyone push back and the experiment which for me is still the most important is that very smart chief commercial officer at the guardian the big uk newspaper yeah. that's like most newspapers struggling he bought some of his own media through programmatic and sure enough he got 30 pence in the pound so, you know, we've got the we've got the brand safety issue. We've got the is it really that smart issue linked to that? We've got the I'm you know, 70 cents in the dollar is not even getting into the media. And then we've got the question of how much of this is actually in front of eyeballs versus bots and so forth and ad fraud. And then, you know, as a final piece, I I just I just think that this black box approach is, you know, the black box is is started out as being, well, each company will have a more superior system and algorithm. I describe programmatic as a black box, and it's a black box filled with turds and spiders. <laughs> 
that's funny. It's funny. I mean, so you you talked about the Guardian piece, I, which I thought was fascinating um, mm. because you know that. But also, you would expect that, right? A publisher, you know, why am I why am I only getting X amount of money? And yeah. let me go test this, right? But the one that you recently wrote about was J.P. Morgan Chase in Australia analyzing their program at Xpend. I wonder if you could share the analysis that they did and, and what they found as well. Because that's the first time yeah, I've heard it, of a client doing that. Exactly. And it comes out of a tiny, not a tiny, but a small New York Times article I read. And I just thought, crikey, that's, that's big news, right? And, it, and, it, and it, to your point, it's a client not only doing this, but also talking about it. So if you look at JP Morgan Chase in the US, they were doing the sort of classic programmatic system. And, and look, you've you got to remember what this is like from clients I talk to. They trust programmatic, right? I mean, naively, right. but, right. but they, they're buying into the brochure. And so at the, uh, if we go back to, say, January or February, J.P. Morgan Chase, which is a big investment bank, uh, private uh, bank as well, buying uh, most of its ad media through programmatic. And it was on, I think they worked out about 400,000 different websites. And so <clears throat> the first point to make about programmatic that I don't think anyone's made either or made enough is we can't do digital media without programmatic. Yeah. So it, it, the question isn't, can we fix it? It's how quickly can we fix it? Because otherwise, digital media isn't going to work. Right. So okay. in a limited market like Australia, there's probably 50 to 100 decent premium digital news sites where you can place your ads direct through the platform. But we're talking literally millions of channels on both YouTube and via Facebook and everyone else that in terms of where you can get access and the Google ad network and so on. We can't manage that without a programmatic system that, you know, humans, can, never mind humans doing it badly, humans can't do this at all. So 400,000 um, websites was, was where JP Morgan's Chase ads were being placed. And with all the brand safety issues, like many clients, the CMO there, who seems to be a pretty impressive character called Kristen Lemkow, she actually said, well, let's have a look at this, right? And she looked at the actual 400,000 sites they were buying and worked out that only about 12,000 ever got any form of response. Now, that's slightly dangerous because obviously we might be doing this for display, but any response ever indicates that many of the 388,000 other sites were pretty much a waste of time. Right. So she took those 12,000 sites. And then she got, you know, one of the good things about working in investment banking is you have interns, usually with MBAs. So she got a bunch of unfortunate interns to go through manually the 12,000 sites to do a good old-fashioned media context review, i.e., are these sites the kind of places that we would place our ads on, given what we stand for and who our target market is? And then that brought down the 12,000 to 5,000, okay? So we're, we're down from 400,000 to, you know, just over 1% of the programmatic sites continued to be, you know, quote, unquote, acceptable. And so I think in March, she made the switch during the brand safety issues to say, okay, let's just buy on those 1% of sites. Now, that in itself is a bold act, right? But right. what's intriguing is so far, at least according to the New York Times and Lemco itself, they've seen no noticeable downturn in either the cost they have to pay per site or the response they're getting from their campaigns. Now, wow. if you pause for a minute and think about that, right? It's from the New York Times. It's from an esteemed CMO at a major brand. There's no reason why any of those people should be lying, right? If you think what that means for a second, that 
that very smart CMO has just cut her programmatic media by 99% and has seen no demonstrable <laughs> impact in, in response. You know, you'd think you and I were smoking something to come up with that kind of statistic. You'd go, that can't be true. But what right. I just said to you 10 minutes before, that 70% of, of programmatic spend is going on commission. That can't be true. If you said that to a 16-year-old high schooler, they'd go, that doesn't make any sense. And this is the world we live in of modern digital marketing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. <laughs> I mean, I, this, I hope people are listening to this because it's like we just need to keep amplifying these stories. And I hope that there's more marketers out there that are brave enough like this brave person at JP Morgan Chase. Lemco, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, she can come out. There's more, there has to be more of these people. Well, um, there definitely aren't. There definitely aren't. No, no, no. Your, um, <laughs> your, ho your hopes will go, I'm afraid, unfulfilled. Marketers are cowards and marketers <laughs> are herd animals and marketers fundamentally don't know what they're doing. So that's another dominant theme here. If you ever get a chance, actually read the ANA report, you know, the one that caused all the scandals yeah. and everything last yep. year. It's actually a very readable thing, much to my surprise. And other than the sort of pervasive nature of ad fraud, here's the other thing that comes out of the report. Clients at multi-billion dollar gigantic corporations who run marketing and media haven't got the faintest clue what they're doing. They seem like children in that report. Everyone that's, you know, that's interviewed, oh, our agency has our best interest at heart. Oh, yeah, programmatic takes care of that. This is ludicrous and you can see why the large big four accounting firms are circling now because you know it's not corporate fraud it, it's it's not malfeasance it's it's just naivety at a level that that cannot be tolerated so you know if any other corporate function was spending money like this in america or anywhere else by now we'd have you know we'd have everyone from accenture to mckinsey uh, you know all over them and i think that's probably going to happen right well, they're aggressively moving into the marketing space in general. Yeah, so. they are, right? They can yeah. smell the blood. So Exactly, exactly. And so you talked about this a little bit around brand safety or also called brand risk. I mean, that's now a thing, right? Especially with regards to YouTube. Um, and I read recently, you, you know, you were arguing that really that's, that's Google's fault and really their fault alone. They should just own it. And, and, I, and I just want to hear your rationale why. I don't think I, I either read the full mm. story potentially or just, you know, why is it? And, you know, aren't, aren't clients to blame or, or ecosystem folks to blame as well? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think the clients should smarten up, but I think there's two sort of strong arguments for why Google has to take it on the chin, and they're not. I mean, they're trying to at senior levels, but they're junior managers who are less experienced and have never actually lived through any form of critique in their Google careers, keep putting their foot in their mouths, right? right, right. And the two reasons are, first of all, when you take anyone's money to deliver a service, if you through that service you know, indirectly and certainly not deliberately put their brands at risk um, or use some of that money to support illegal or, you know, highly uh, specious uh, organizations, clearly as a medium that it's your responsibility. I'm not saying anyone at Google did any of this deliberately. Of course they didn't. But the point is you took the money. And when you take the money, particularly when you take it in the billions of dollars, that's a service and you're responsible. And the second, you know, rationale is much simpler. You never blame a customer for something you do wrong. Right. Even, you know, right. you, you know, you serve someone's food cold. You, you don't say to them, well, it's kind of because you gave me a complex order. Right. At the most basic level, you say to the waitress or waiter, listen, you need to understand something, my friend, as you go through life here. The customer's not to blame here. That never ends well. And by the same token, at a multi-billion dollar level, the minute anyone from Google or from digital starts saying, yeah, but you know, the clients, they should have done it. Listen, we're back to that restaurant. The client paid the money. They're the customer. They are not the wrong ones here. Sort the stuff out. And I think, you know, those two points are on unimpeachable in the sense that you know google's making an awful lot of money from this now look what's the real story behind this google and facebook do not want to be seen as a media channel yeah the minute they uh, from zuckerberg uh, from the very top down they do not want to accept the responsibilities of a media channel because if they do that they are screwed they are tech companies this is and if you play that game then it absolutely it's the client's fault we merely provide the platform we don't get the jihadis. We don't right. monitor the jihadis and what they're saying. We don't take responsibility for that hate speech or linking it to that. We're just a tech platform, man. That's all we do. They have to hold on to that, even though it's clearly nonsense, because the minute they even mention the medium word or the broadcast word, they are open to a whole bunch of standards that they cannot possibly um, uh, surpass. Well, so, you know, if we step back from all this stuff, you know, you, you teach brand to mm. students and, you know, and you're right about these types of topics. I mean, what advice do you have for brand leaders today? I mean, how do we make Oof, sense yeah. of the world? It seems like everything is upside down. Yeah, look, the good news from my, I mean, I am not a qualified marketing or digital communications expert. So I'm extremely experienced in the world of brand management. I, you know, I did my PhD in marketing 20 odd years ago. I've taught brand at MIT and at Minnesota in the States and taught it in London Business School. And I've done a ton of consulting with very large brands. If it came to an issue of branding, I, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all over it. The good news for me is that this whole topic of communications uh, is a small part of branding. It's got bigger and bigger, unfortunately, as the digital era has, has moved on. It, it, you know, if I had to put a number on it, I, you know, if you look at proper marketing models, comms is probably, uh, ooh, I want to argue, I'd say 12% of the total marketing. If you manage a brand 
about 12% of your brain cells should be dedicated to marketing communications. And within that, a smaller proportion that should go on digital, assuming you are media neutral. So the good news from a brand point of view, and what I say to my MBA students is, um, you know, you've got to be on top of this stuff. But at the end of the day, don't let it subsume all of your other strategic thinking because, you know, strategy has to be done first and that hasn't changed in literally a thousand years. <laughs> Again, a point that the digital morons will never understand. So, you know, understand your brand, understand the market, get your strategy right. And when it comes to execution, clearly the communications piece is important and changing dramatically. But let's not forget about pricing. Let's not forget about product development. Let's not forget about distribution channels. There's a whole other bunch of stuff that has to be worked out here as well. So the, my main message is, my gosh, it's a mess. Don't let it become everything. And don't forget, as a brand manager or as a CMO, we have many other fish to fry on top of the digital chaos that's taking place. Awesome. So now I want to step back from all this nonsense, so to speak. And uh, it really just, I ask the next set of questions to everybody that comes on the show. Okay. And I'm really just looking for your personal introspection or thoughts as we kind of go mm. through it. Um, and the first one is really what drives you? What what fuels you? Mm. I mean, you're, you're successful in your career, but I, <laughs> why? Why do why, why you get up and do what you do? Oh, it's very, I mean, this is a very interesting question, I think, or hopefully an interesting answer. Um, I'm driven by money. And um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, and I'm probably the only marketer driven as such. So mm -hmm. I, I want to have, first of all, my family is the most important thing, but right. I keep that, I keep that all of that out of my career, my family and my personal interests and so on. I don't, you know, so many marketers blend, look, I have an interest in comedy and I'm going to try and bring that comedy angle into my career. I think that's amateur bullshit, frankly. So I have a very nice life, um, which involves many pursuits, which are fun, which have nothing to do with work. And when I go to work, I'm really heavily interested and motivated by large amounts of money. Um, <laughs> and I think there's no shame in that. You know, I no, don't think no. that I think I go to work to earn money. Um, having said that, and what's nice about the way I work is I've got a, I mean, I have a flat consulting rate. Every client plays the same amount of money, big or small, one day or 25 days. I send them when they inquire on the first day a one-page sheet, which is this is my price. Right? Literally, you know, it takes about three lines to explain it all. And that's nice because I sell out all my consulting time each year at the same flat price. And so my other motivation to uh, client work is to make them money too. And you know, I had a meeting with a big bank yesterday, and they're asking me why I was interested in working with them. And I said, well, first of all, money. <laughs> because I, you know, I'll get loads of loads of interesting right. consulting days. But I said, second, frankly, I could sell that to someone else. I think we can make more money from my efforts with you than with other clients. And I think that's missing from a lot of this crap about marketing. You know what I mean? Why right. do we do marketing? Because it has a demonstrable, powerful impact on the bottom line. You know, and that you know, why why are customers important, and why is it important to listen to them? So we can make more money. So yeah, on the broadest and most personal level, when it comes to work, I am motivated almost exclusively by money. I like it. Like it's that's honest and to yeah. the point. So. Yeah, and it's 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 devoid of the brand mission bullshit about you know I have a passion for look at Pepsi right? right. Why are they in trouble? Because they are fundamentally losing the plot right. They they think their brand mission of you know restoring balance in the world or whatever the heck it is. That's just a bunch of marketers missing the point completely. Well, in the agency world, which I've just now gotten my 
toe dipped into, mm. you know, depending on the agency, there's great agencies out there, but you know, the, this notion of, you know, finding the cultural tension and, um, oh, yeah. uh, you know, all, all of the, the squishier side of, of communications, it really makes you wonder, did we forget that the advertising is supposed to sell something? At the end of the day, you got it. Let's let's be completely honest, Alan. Most of these marketers and ad agencies, particularly the the sort of upcoming executive generation, are fundamentally uncomfortable with the idea that they work to sell stuff. That's not cool. That's not trendy. So if I can argue that okay, I'm selling cans of sugared caffeinated beverages to kids. Ooh, not sure how I feel about that at a dinner party on Friday night. But if I can argue that what I'm doing is inspiring a new generation to feel themselves in a more ethical way, that makes me feel a whole lot better about my life. That's the problem. People are ashamed to sell stuff in marketing these days, and I think they are weak because of it. Well, so this may be a hard question for you. <laughs> so what brands, companies, or causes do you think other people should be taking notice of? Well, now there, you see, that's that's an easy question if I partition it. Do you want me to answer personally or professionally? Uh, personally, personally. I mean, I'm curious. Uh, personally, know. yeah. Personally, I'm a massive animal advocate. So I, um, there's there's probably two things I care about deeply at the moment. One is the local dog's home where I um where I, oh, I got both my dogs from. I mean, and the thing I've been most passionate about is um. Uh, I guess just trying to convince people not to take a breeder's dog because there's enough dogs in the world and what you need to do is go down the pound and pick yourself a good dog. Not because the dog is sad or beaten, which I think is how we tend to position it at the moment, but just because if you know dogs and you have any kind of knowledge, you could pick a beautiful dog and, and, and it won't let you down and they're much healthier. So yeah, dogs are just generally the most awesome thing in the world. And so I would say that's my first love. And then the other one is sort of anything that involves, I think, people genuinely trying to, I don't know, do something that, that's truly without any kind of corporate uh, interaction or advantage, which, you know, we're so bamboozled at the moment with, with, with people dressing up corporate stuff as being for the good of society that when you see people that are, you know, that are genuinely engaged with communities and trying to help people, I think that's a, an awesome thing. And I probably my favorite of all the things I've seen in the last year is the team Gleason stuff. So Steve Gleason is the great NFL footballer that's been unfortunately afflicted with with um lou gehrig's disease and um he is uh you know if you get a chance watch the movie gleason it's uh, a stunning film about a man that's refusing to give in and i think that has been the most inspiring thing i've seen in a very long time that's great i'll definitely check that out i haven't even paid much attention to that yeah he's it's it's bubbling up right if you look just look just look for the team gleason gleason yeah. is g-l-e-a-s-o-n hashtag he's um He's a famous footballer um, for reasons you'll find out, but he's just an amazing man and father. And I think the way he's fighting that awful condition is something that just, it can't fail to inspire people. And I, I couldn't more strongly recommend anything this year than watch the movie, which is on iTunes. Awesome. Awesome. So last question, and this one's more back to, back to the original topics of marketing. Um, you know, what, do you, what do you think the future of marketing looks like? <laughs> Ooh, uh, you got yeah. your crystal ball out 
So a short term, I think long term, nobody knows. Nobody knows. I know a couple of people at Google pretty well. I know they don't know. Nobody knows. Um, long, shorter, shorter term. I think what you're going to see is a big. He's already starting to see it happen. The pendulum is swinging back. So we've had all this crap about brand purpose, soft and fluffy, and almost the the Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad is probably Fonzie jumping the shark. And I think what you're going to see now is a big swing back to basics, probably too far. So if you look at the most influential professor in the world right now, it's Byron Sharp at Ehrenberg Bass. He is not a famous man yet in the North America, but it's happening fast. There isn't a CMO in the world that doesn't have his book, How Brands Grow, in their bag. And the dude is on to something. Uh, not everything. I'm not a. You know, I'm not one of the devotees that you know takes everything completely at, at face value. But I tell you, his his is a strong antidote to this rubbish, and very powerfully, very powerfully stated. So my worry is, and I'm a huge fan of Sharp and his stuff. Is we swing too far that way, and if you really look at what Byron says, brands are little more than physical and mental availability. So, you know, at the moment of purchase, if I feel like a coffee, you know, which stores are around me and which ones pop into my head. And although there's a lot more to his thesis than that, that's pretty much where it goes. Right. You know what I mean? So if you think about, you know, Starbucks is a perfect example. Starbucks currently has a brand mission, which is, and it's probably isn't quite right, but basically to inspire communities, right? And Mm -hmm. Sharp would argue that it's the fact that there's one around the corner. And when you think about Starbucks, you think green and you think that's a coffee I can drink. They're the two extreme points. And I think what we're going to see is the pendulum swinging from Starbucks as inspiring communities to back to it's a coffee. And that's one that you think of and it's around the corner. Now, my point is, and very unusually, I'm in the middle. (laughs) I think there is more (laughs) to Starbucks than just a coffee that's around the corner. I do believe in meaning and symbolism, and I do believe Starbucks stands for, can stand for more than that. I think that might get lost in the pendulum swing. Well, I feel like, I don't know if you guys all, it sounds like you know Byron, but um, you, Byron, and this other guy who I've also interviewed, Bob Hoffman. Oh, the Hoff, the Hoff, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like there's a bromance brewing between the three of you guys. I don't know, I don't know. A three-way bromance, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I know the Hoff a little bit. We did some gigs in Canada. I know Byron from many, many years back. Uh, th- we're all very different cats. I mean, the thing that I think is interesting is we've, I mean, no, no, yeah, even Byron, I think this applies to him, certainly to me and Bob, we were all widely seen as complete and utter lunatics. And and I don't understate that word, right? Right. So Bob was seen as being old, over-the-hill, contrarian. I was seen as just being like an academic who was out of touch. Like when I started talking about social media being completely pointless for most brands, you know, this is going back seven or eight years, I started giving these little talks, right? People laughed. Literally, people laughed at me. I mean, you know, not just, you know, metaphorically speaking, they thought I was joking, right? (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, and, and something I'm obsessed and, and Byron's had the same stuff via Ehrenberg and into Byron that, you know, you just don't get, you know, modern marketing. And what's interesting about it is that it's fascinating. You never get proved right. You know, I, I mean, give me some credit here, right? I've got certain things wrong for sure. But I called Nokia going down in flames when they had 40% market share. 
I wrote, and, and this is all in the public realm. I called, right. uh, when they launched Coke Life, I wrote a column that said, this is going to fail. Literally, right? This is going to fail. And what happens is, or, you know, TV isn't dead. You don't get a price. Someone doesn't turn up later. I, I call Brexit, right? I said, the UK is going to end up voting for this, and here's why, right? No one turns up later and gives you, like, a certificate, and a, you're, you know, you guessed it right. Everyone forgets that. And what happens is they go, that's obvious. Everybody knew that. You know what I mean? Like, right now, I'm getting all this grief about people saying, no one said TV was dying. What are you talking about? TV's never going to die. That's crazy talk. You know, saying that is just stupid. You're setting up a straw man. I'm like, dude, four years ago, I can send you 100 articles saying TV dies in 2017. You know what I mean? So you don't get prizes for being prescient. You, you know, so what's interesting is you get laughed at and then you get treated as if you're, you know, you're over-exaggerating it. So it's an interesting point, but I think the three, yeah, uh, the three musketeers as we are, who are all very, driven by very different things, I think we all have one thing in common, which is we were all openly dismissed. And now we're all increasingly just seen as being, yeah, but that's pretty obvious. What Byron says, everyone knows that, you know what I mean? What Bob Hoffman right. says it's right. just the orthodoxy, man. It's just common sense. And so what they're missing is the years when Byron and, and Ehrenberg is, is, is sort of mental were just laughed at, where Bob Hoffman was dismissed as an old fool and I was seen as an out-of-touch academic. And, and unfortunately, those those memories stay with us but don't stay with the, the modern marketing, <laughs> you know, cognoscenti. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, like, I feel like I'm watching um, – have you seen the movie The Big Short? On the financial yes, crisis. I love the Big Short. Yes, uh, yeah. So I feel like I'm watching the marketing version of the Big Short. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no. Here's the. Pro, I think that's spot on. But here's the problem. There's no second foot going to drop. So say what you like about the financial markets. They fundamentally, at some point, will turn on a dime if the right. money isn't going in the right place. That's not how marketing works. There's no one. You know, the long-term lag effect of marketing and the complete absence of ability to work out what's going on, you know, it, 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 there is no moment here where a Watergate style, you know, we've had those already, you know, we've had the admissions that, you know, Facebook have overstated their metric. And again, you know, I'm up on a stage saying you're going to get a tsunami of bullshit when it right. comes to digital video, Right. Yeah. Sure enough, here comes the tsunami, right? You can't get much worse at overstating stuff by eighty percent, right? right? It's not. It's not. It's not stopped them doing anything other than spending more money. So, you know, there is no moment where you know Woodward Bernstein you break through the doors and the you know Tricky Dicky gets on the helicopter and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Google and Facebook win, right? That's that's. Right. Let me let me spoil the novel for everyone. Google and Facebook <laughs> totally win, right? And maybe, maybe Amazon win too. And news media loses and TV loses a bit. And loses a lot once they get bought by Google and Facebook. That's chapter three, though. What's going to happen now is exactly what everyone thinks is going to happen, which is programmatic will continue to be a box of turds and spiders. It will continue to get more money. And nothing will change. Nothing will change. And, and that's not a bad or a good thing. It's just the business. And the point my friend makes is a CMO when I get drunk with him and, and say basically this <laughs> is, but we're not curing cancer. And he's, you know, what's the point right. of this, you know, diatribe? And he's, he's completely correct. So what do you do? You let the fools and their money sail down the programmatic channels where 70% of their money goes to commission and probably 95% of it is going to the wrong market. And you advise the clients you work for not to not do digital. That would be momentously stupid as well, but to be media neutral. But to be strategy first, 
but to spend more wisely and and not to be afraid to do it right and you know what if if everyone keeps being stupid which i think they will that's going to make me more money which as we've already learned is my driving operating motivation in all this love it love it well thank you so much for coming on the show my pleasure it was uh, very enjoyable very enjoyable Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with project management by Sarah Williams, audio production by Aaron Campbell, writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. We love to hear from listeners at info at atomic, A-T-O-M-C-K dot com. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Welcome back to Two Judgy Girls. I'm Mary from the Bay. And I'm Courtney from LA. TJG is the podcast where we spill all the tea on your favorite reality TV shows, celebrity gossip, and everything in between. We're here to bring you our unfiltered opinions, hilarious commentary, and plenty of laughs along the way. We're two SDSU Delta Gamma sisters with a microphone and a whole lot of opinions. Each week, we dive headfirst into the wild world of reality television from Bravo to all the trash TV you could want. We break down the drama, dissect the latest scandals, and share our thoughts on everything from the jaw-dropping moments to the embarrassing antics. But that's not all. We're not here to just gossip. We're here to connect with you, the jurors, and share our love of all things pop culture. Whether we're dishing on the latest celebrity breakups, discussing our favorite guilty pleasure movies, or sharing embarrassing stories from our own lives, we promise to keep it real, keep it fun, and keep you coming back for more. Come judge with us. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.